Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to California Haunts Radio tonight. My name is Charlotte. And I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Um, I also am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team uh, out of Sacramento. But we are based up and down the state of California. Uh, 35 strong, almost 40 strong, I think. And uh, like I said, almost every city in California or every county in California has uh, team members that can come out and help you if you have uh, some paranormal things going on in your house or you think you have paranormal stuff going on in your house. Uh, you can you can visit our website at www.californiahauntsradio. I'm sorry, I tell you, too many California haunts in my life. You can visit our website at www.californiahaunts.org and um, check out the services we provide. Also, if you want to check out the radio site, we are at www.californiahauntsradio.com. You see how I get confused by the two? Anyway, um, we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, this is something that I'm interested in because, you know, if you read through the Holy Bible, there are re- kind of what look like references to, to um, excuse me, to um, aliens in there. When I mean, you think about it, like, like Ezekiel, see, you know, seeing the wheel in the sky and things like that. And uh, the gentleman I'm going to have on tonight, um, Ali, and I'm not going to botch his last name, so I'll let him give his own last name, but uh, my guest tonight has done a lot of research into this, and that, and uh, he's kind of got some really good points, he makes some really good points ab- ab- about that, you know, ab- about the aliens. Um, so, yeah, uh, one quick announcement is uh, Solstice is coming up next Tuesday, I believe, is Solstice Eve for Winter Solstice, and Sunday, if you're interested in finding out what you want to do after Solstice, because Solstice is a time to reflect, I'm going to open the chat room here, Hello, Jerry. Um, Solstice is a time to reflect and think about things from the past, think about things from what's going on now, and think about your future. And so it's a really cool time to kind of, you know, be one with your thoughts and whatnot. And this opportunity on Sunday evening at 7 p.m., which is going to be a Zoom thing, uh, is so that maybe if you have any questions about your future, maybe if you have questions about the past or maybe a deceased relative or anything like that, this is your chance to get them answered. Stephanie Page Belson, who's one of the mediums on our team, is going to be available Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time, and she'll be answering your questions. You get three questions, and she'll uh, be doing readings uh, via tarot cards, via uh, runes or well, whatever else she uses that night, but you're but but you can have three questions answered. If you're interested in something like that, you know, to get your new year started off great, you know, start off in a good pace. Visit www.californiahauntsradio.com and go all the way over at the top of the menu to the right. Click click on that, and it'll take you to a place called events. The event is listed on there with all the details. So that'd be something if you that you can do if you're interested in. Anyway, without further ado. Oh, yes. One more announcement. I've been doing this announcement all week. It's a sad announcement, but it has to be done. Um, I have a 17-year-old dog who uh, is paralyzed from the waist down. Well, you know, her her rear end's paralyzed. And I'm waiting on uh, the funding to come in to put her to sleep. 
And so uh, she's in my kitchen, and sometimes she will whine and cry out. But uh, just just rest assured, she's not in any kind of pain. She's very comfortable. She's covered up in a blanket. But if she does wee herself or have you know any kind of accident or anything like that, she will cry out. Or if she's trying to move around, she will cry out. And it's, it's mainly out of frustration. I've been keeping an eye on her, you know, this the past two or three days, and I know it's out of frustration. So if, if you do happen to hear her in the background, that's what's going on. And like I said, there's nothing, you know, she's not in any kind of pain or anything like that, but she is very, very frustrated right now. So hopefully the hopefully my funding comes in for, you know, uh, to, to put her to sleep and uh, it'll be before the end of the week. And, um, you know, so I can give, give the best gift of all, you know, give her that best gift to let her go quietly. Anyway, without further ado, let's bring our guest in and... Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. How do you pronounce your last name? I wanted to make sure I did it right. Seattle-tan. Okay. Okay. Because I tend to botch last names. (laughs) No problem. It's it's not an easy one. (laughs) So tell me about yourself, sir. Um, Well, what do you want to know? Like, from what point of view? Um, The... uh, um, basically, I was born in Iran, and in my spiritual journey, I went on a very vast spiritual journey because of um, a revolution that happened there that kind of brought uh, the clergy to power, and so religion became something that um, was shoved down everyone's throat, and so I had to really think about it for myself, and you know, I, I studied many different things, and I was really looking for having a direct connection with God in the sense that um, I would feel his presence. No, you know, he would reveal himself to me, like at the level of consciousness. Um, and then, then I'd know, you know, then he'd point me to like, what is the truth? Um, and so I tried many different things, uh, Eastern mysticism, um, all kinds of mysticisms, actually. I realized that's what I was interested in. Finally, someone presented the gospel to me and I thought, okay, I'll give this a try and see if it actually works. And it did. And when I believed in the Lord, uh, you know, Jesus, um, and the whole idea of atonement, uh, uh, the sacrifice, the resurrection, suddenly um, the Lord revealed himself to me. And I realized that mm-hmm. my spirit was allowed to enter the holy of holies of my inner temple and in where God himself, you know, descended in his spirit because sin was removed. And, and so all, all of these work of meditation and and, and different types of fasts and energy work. None of these things worked, but uh, ironically, it really was the removal of this that separates us from God. And, and I realized, wow, this is, this is serious and this is true. So when, now why does it work this way? I don't know, because the Bible doesn't explain the reason for it. It just says this is how it is. And so right. when this was removed, this sin through this offering, uh, you know, in, in, in the celestial temple, like in, in, in the house of prayer, when you kind of then, then the spirit entered and, and my spirit and God's spirit communed. And suddenly I was aware of God and now I was interested in reading the Bible because mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this actually works. And so as I started to study the Bible, this was in 1991. Um, I started to, you know, uh, start from the Old Testament and, and prophecies and the New Testament and, and kind of it's like a, written as a puzzle of the Bible. So I started to understand why and how this works. And then, um, in 1996, 1997, um, my attention turned to the study of angels. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I was presented with the idea that perhaps there may be a, a connection between the modern UFO phenomenon and some of the angelic appearances in the Bible because um, they're, I guess we're going to talk about this at some point tonight, because you know, they're very different than the way the culture imagines angels, the way the text presents these stories. And that was uh, fascinating. You know, I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I started to look into that. Um, and then, uh, I think it was in 1999, December, I went to visit my dad in Iran, and there um, I had a UFO sighting uh, in the deserts uh, of Iran as we were driving uh, south uh-huh. uh, to, to this city called Isfahan uh, very late at night. And that, it was, it, you know, just, it's a kind of a shocking thing because it was so close. Uh, and I could see details and all that. And so then I really came back and started to look into it deeply. And that led to the making of this documentary, UFOs, Angels, and Gods, which people can watch on my website for free. You can always leave a donation, but that's it's there for you. And so that's kind of, you know, my story as far as uh, coming to, to the Lord, coming to this understanding, and then looking into the Bible and finally getting into the study of angels. And from there into the connection with the UFO phenomenon. Very interesting. And I find this interesting because, you know, there are things in the Bible that that allude that there were actually UFOs there. Like I said earlier, you know, Ezekiel talks about the, the wheels of the sky and whatnot. Right. So you know, there are things there, but maybe some people aren't aware of them. Could, could you explain a couple of examples? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they... The, the, Probably the most famous example, Ezekiel is very good, and I'll talk about that. But probably the most famous example is the prophet Elijah. Um, Elijah is a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. And one day he, he's taken up, it says, to, into the realm of God and um, with a chariot of fire and horses of fire. That's what it says, chariot of fire and horses of fire. Now, we know that chariots don't have fire and horses don't have fire. Um, and the word that is used for chariot, rekev, um, is, means vehicle, actually. It's just that mm-hmm. it was translated as chariot uh, because until the 20th century, there was no other ch- vehicle but a chariot. So it was redundant. It was, okay, well, this is a chariot. And so the chariots of Pharaoh were rekev, but the Bible also talks about the chariots of God. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, it's like the chariots of God were at Mount Sinai. Uh, uh, it's in Psalm 68. Um, David talks about it, that there's the chariots of God were at Sinai, and, and there is many of them, thousands. And um, there's another word that's used uh, for chariot, uh, which is Merkeva, like it says in the scroll of Isaiah, that God will come with his chariots. Mm-hmm. Um, and these words actually mean um vehicle that's what they mean in hebrew and they come from the idea of something that carries you from a to b so rekev usually is more of a war chariot and has two wheels merkeva is more like a carriage and um in modern day you know hebrew for instance when they uh wanted to uh, talk about trains because trains didn't exist in the local time and they had to come up with a word for train they took it from the same uh, uh, root word, uh, Rekev. Um, and, uh, you know, even things like, uh, there's a, there's a very famous Israeli tank, which is called Merkeva. 
um, because again, it was like, what are we going to call this tank? It's a vehicle, you know, <laughs> m- you know, maybe they decided to, you know, take a word from the Bible as, as mm-hmm. a form of like blessing and power. But the idea was that's the word they took, the one that's used for the chariots of God. So the, uh, the, another example would be, like you said, the prophet Ezekiel, he is uh, by the river uh, Chabar, it's in uh, Mesopotamia in modern day Iraq. And he has a vision of God arriving. Um, and he doesn't know at first it's God. So he, he first describes what he sees. And he says that he sees a cloud unfolding on itself. And something like amber, this color of amber is coming. And the word that's used in the Bible for that particular instance to, to talk about this amber is the modern Hebrew word for electricity. <laughs> and it kind of uh, would be the color of when you take a piece of metal and heat it up. So that's another context for like a heated up metal. And as the this cloud kind of, you know, uh, dissipates and he starts to see what's in it, what he sees is uh, these wheels within wheels, he describes it. But then he says the wheel was actually on its side, like instead of just, you know, how a chariot wheel right. moves, but, but imagine flat. And, and then he says the rims, meaning that the, the, the dimension of the wheel from the center to to the outside of it, the rims, uh, the radius of the wheel were, were so big that it was dreadful. That's the word he uses. Mm-hmm. So it's a so it's a round, spherical, dreadful, dreadfully large wheel within a wheel. And then in front of it, there are these, um, um, I guess, angels. Um, and they um, have human legs and human arms, but they are clothed with these, uh, with, with these wings. But the wings are not the wings of birds, the way that we see it in the paintings of the Renaissance masters, like flapping bird wings. Mm-hmm. They have two that cover, you know, their, their their body and two that are pointing up. And when they want to move, it says the wings come out and then they move. And when they stand, they, the wing just goes down. And he says that the sound of their wing, when it moved up and down, was like um, rushing water. Um, like, a, you know, uh, that's the word he, 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 he looks uh, in, in his environment to describe it. And whenever these creatures moved, the wheel followed it. And whenever these things stopped, the wheel stopped. And at the end, out of this wheel comes um, um, a man, you know, and then he sees the sign of the rainbow behind him, which was a covenant that God had made with Noah uh, in the book of Genesis. And so he recognizes that this is God. And mm-hmm. then the, the scroll of Ezekiel begins. God tells him what he needs to do. And, and so that's another example. Even the story of the Exodus, which is a bit of a follow the leader story, they are following this amud, which is like a pillar. That's mm-hmm. what. And and in the modern UFO sightings, you know, you, you see pillars that people describe cigar-like objects. You know, they're like mm-hmm. motherships. They're huge. Um, and there's the book of uh, Psalms that talks about how at Sinai God was there with His chariots. It says that, and um, and and God returned to the earth with His chariots and. Um, even the story of the Magi, since we're around Christmas and all that, it's mm-hmm. kind of like follow the leader type of story that we hear often in UFO reports where the bright light in the sky, because, um, it, you know, this light appears and then it disappears in the story and then it reappears and stands still on a single spot and the Magi follow it. And you could say that it was an astronomical alignment and I'm not opposed to that, of course, mm-hmm. but within the context of, how angels operate 
in the Bible with these chariots and um, then it's and within the empirical evidence of the modern day phenomenon, they're overlap, even with the story of the Magi. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another story where Elisha, who is the student of Elijah. So Elijah is the prophet who's taken up in a chariot of fire and horse of fire, but he has a student, Elisha. And Elisha is in, you know, they're surrounded him and this other guy by these enemies. And the other guy is very afraid. And Elisha prays to God that he opened his eyes, that he may see that the chariots that are with them are much greater in number than the ones that were the enemy. And and so the reason his eyes have to be opened is because these are angelic chariots that mm-hmm. are around them. So so the idea, when he, once again, the word that is used is rekev, this idea, the word of vehicle. And so definitely, and also David, King David, when he instructs Solomon about the decorations that will go on the temple, he talks about these merkeva, the other word for chariots, of the cherubim uh, to be part of the decoration of what will go in in the temple structure in Jerusalem. So, so the angels have these chariots. God is operating in one, and um, they're all through the Bible. And of course, you know, um, um, the modern day UFO phenomenon may not be so modern in that sense. And even the gods of all the nations use these flying you know, vehicles, like in, in Hinduism, um, the word for the chariot of the gods was Vimana. Mm-hmm. And today, in modern-day Hindi, the word for airplane is also Vimana. And so so that's, the, you know, uh, the, there's a parallel that all the civilizations bear witness to this phenomenon of the flying gods. Um, that's why my documentary is called UFOs, Gods, and Angels. Right. And and in the Bible we also see you know that that this is associated with angelic world. But then come the Renaissance, um, the masters of the Renaissance, they paint angels as like these semi-naked men with like bird-like wings, or little tiny boys, the cherubs with these tiny wings. Even though in the Bible the cherubim are you know phenomenally uh, powerful beings that sit around the throne of God, and they have these you know I would say metallic suits it seems. Um, so they, um, often different types of metal is used to describe them, burnished bronze and things like that. And so, um, the painters and the masters of the Renaissance, um, in some way begin to culturally define for us, um, how we in our general everyday culture will understand angels. Then comes cinema and well books and drawings but then cinema uh especially that movies kind of keep promoting this idea uh, of angels with these bird-like wings um and they live kind of in the clouds i mean where does bird-like wings take you right it can't Uh take you too far right? right um you know it can't take you out of the earth and so in the modern um um church I, the idea begins to, to also develop that, well, they come from another dimension because um, it's a long story, of, of, but under the influence of Greek thought, um, there is a massive spiritualization that the early church undergoes, which means that things are uh, that are in the universe as we know it are transposed 
to another realm that is ghostly. And so the angels come from this ghostly realm. Uh, why do they have bird-like wings? Well, no one really thinks too deeply about that. In the Bible, we see them as men. It says that you may have you know, entertained an angel unaware, uh, so be hospitable. Uh, we see an angel come and roll the tomb of Christ and sit on it, so it's physical. Um, but, and they don't have wings, um, even though they're drawn with wings. Mm-hmm. But in the Bible, they don't. And, um, and so uh, people don't think too much about these connections. Well, they came from that dimension. They just took human form to be with us for a moment. Oh, well, yes, how do they fly? Where do they go? Well, we don't really mm-hmm. know. Yes, you know, there's bird-like wings. That's one depiction. The other idea is that if you really push someone who thinks about these things a little bit, they'll say, well, they just went into the spiritual world, like, mm-hmm. like a gate open and they walk through Um, All of this is very interesting philosophy, but in the scriptural account and in the actual literature, we hear about the Rekeva and the Merkeva, uh, these vehicles, and they're described at length in key passages, and they're assigned to God and his angels. So so suddenly, in the modern imagination, the world of UFOs and the world of angels really seems like very distinct, uh, separate from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the biblical account, uh, you realize, wait, the, the these guys always looked this way. Right. Um, they always had these things. What if they have been with us all this time? Mm-hmm. And so, so suddenly, from this point of view, the UFO phenomenon becomes, in a way, the manifestation of God and His angels in the physical creation. Um, and of course, they are then they divide into two because the Bible puts them in a narrative. Right. Um, and so. Uh, so then that narrative, you know, helps us understand what's going on. And a lot of the evidence that I dug up matches uh, the biblical narrative of who these guys are and how they connect to the human world. How long did it take you to do this research and, and then to do, you know, to do the comparison on there? Because, I mean, the way things are written in the Bible, it's it's old, like, I don't want to say olded language, but I mean, that's that's what it is. So, I mean, they're equating stuff that they're seeing to stuff from their time just just like you say you know as as the years have gone the church has turned the angels in, into something else we, you know to make it more modernized for people so how are you able to do the comparisons well um you you just you know start to look at all the passages where these interactions are described and you know there there you can you, you can count them on two hands so you dig them all out and you go okay wait a second there's always these fire and vehicles and even the terms what terms are used for chariot oh wow it's this term and, and it has actually this meaning means means something that carries you from a to b mm-hmm. okay so it was just translated as chariot quote unquote because that's what carried people from a to b okay mm-hmm. that's interesting insight so you kind of do an examination of all of it as far as uh, the larger story and how they fit in the narrative because the bible tells a story then that brings this interaction to life and puts it in, in a linear narrative. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it takes years. Like it's, it's, a, it's a continuation of a spiritual journey that leads you into understanding the books, the stories understood. Then you start to look into the angels and they become real. So suddenly you realize, wow, you can take this book literally. Like this mm-hmm. one guy told me once, he said, you know, I never thought uh, that God and his angels, you know, came to Mount Sinai. And delivered, you know, the the Torah or you know uh, the things of Moses. Um, right. 
but he said, from the point of view you're presenting, suddenly for the first time, I think, wow, this may have been real. Mm-hmm. So, so the Bible becomes very real, and you can now take the story literally over the all of these beings, and now it, it really opens up, and it becomes, in a way, simple because you don't have to try to understand what it means. You're taking it at face value, and so you realize, wow, already if this is actually true, just what it says at face value. If this is true then already this is phenomenal. You know, if God has visited the earth, if humanity is part of a cosmic tale that involves God and his angels, and this whole story is happening in the universe and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, already these, these ideas are phenomenally large concepts. If they're actually true, then already you don't have to try to squeeze any other interpretation out of it. This itself is a, is, is a very large piece of information. If it's true, then you can just follow the breadcrumbs into the rest of the story, and, and it leads you all the way into the modern-day UFO phenomenon. Um, another thing that, that I think was important to, was uh, the whole concept of the word for heaven. Mm-hmm. So um, when we think of, in modern-day Christianity, when we think of uh, heaven, like when someone says, hey, so-and-so died and went to heaven, um, I don't know what people think, but we think of it as definitely, we don't think of it as the universe. Mm-hmm. We, think, we think of it as someplace else. It's, it's nearly a magical place. Process, a time, um, these things don't really exist there. Bodies, not really. Um, it's kind of ghostly, uh-huh. and you know, even Jesus, he's a he's a spirit somewhere over there in this place of spirits, and 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 it's a magical place. And then you kind of go there, um, and and people think, what would the world of God and angels have to do with any of this? Well, in the Bible, in the actual Bible, in the text, the word that's translated as heavens, that's usually a plural word, actually, because it's plural. It's shamaim, mm-hmm. or shamaim, you know, shamaim is, it would be like a little, but shamaim is how uh, a lot of people say it. And in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, uranus, and the Greek is is meant to be a translation of the Hebrew concepts of the Old Testament. And so it's plural because the word is used to talk about where the birds fly. So if you're reading the Hebrew Bible and it says the birds fly in the sky, well, in the Hebrew, it says the birds fly in the Shemaim. Mm-hmm. And, and then if you, it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars, it'll say the sun and the moon are in the Shemaim. And if it talks about the vaster universe that, where the stars are located, it'll say the stars are in the Shemaim. Mm-hmm. And then where the, it's the Bible says that at the heart of time and space, there's a temple. It says there's a temple where God resides in the consciousness of God, you know, exists in a, in a place. And, uh-huh. and that is also called Shammai. So the translator in English now says, wow, I see it's plural because it's heaven. So there's different layers to heaven. There's the first layer. Okay. We'll call that the sky because in English where, where the birds fly, we call sky. Then where the sun and the moon is, oh, that's the solar system. Okay, mm-hmm. well, in the Hebrew, that's still a Shaman. And then where the stars are, okay, that's the universe. Okay, well, 
we have a word for that. So when it, when when it, when in the Hebrew it says where the stars are, mm-hmm. it uses the same word as sky or where God dwells. But in English, we might translate that as universe. Right. And and finally, where God exists with with His entourage, that we may say, okay, we'll call that one heaven. Mm-hmm. So in English, we we get the we get the impression that that the 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 Bible essentially describes anything that's three feet off the ground, like which is the air where the sky is. Mm-hmm. That's the heavens. That's the heavens. Um, and then it, it kind of extends out <laughs> outside of the of the dome of the earth, the sphere of the earth, where the sun and the moon is. That's the heavens. Where the universe is, this vast scroll of the universe, this, where the stars are. That's the heavens in the Bible. And that's why it's plural in English. In the old English, you'd say the heavens, because the, in the Bible, there's three heavens. There's the sky, the universe, and where God dwells. All of that is the heavens. Huh. And, and so in order to travel from the earth into the heavens, uh, you need vehicles. The Bible narrative is plainly saying these things. I'm just pointing out to... It's just the concept we have culturally is so different that it seems like, really, this is what it says in the Bible? Really, this is what it says in the Bible. So, um, so God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, which is which in, which means the universe and the earth and this place where He is dwelling, the heavens and the earth, and He is the creator of the host of the heavens and mm-hmm. the host of the earth and the host of the earth, which is us. And so, from the beginning, Adam and humanity is presented as belonging to a cosmic order. Mm-hmm. And the reason we can, you know, send rockets into outer space, into the heavens, is because we are, are of the world of God and angels, and they do these things as well. So the angels, not only are they presented as physical beings in the Bible, but um, they operate within the laws of the creation as we do. Mm-hmm. And they know they know more about it because they've been around longer. And the creation itself, the physical creation, is presented as a blessed thing that God has created. It's blessed at every turn of the phases of creation in the in the days of creation. And so it's a very complex thing. It is a very um, you know incredible thing to operate through and understand. And and so from there, um this is the, this is how the ancients understood it, but then we start to get into the Middle Ages, and mm-hmm. and gradually a change begins to happen. Um, it has to do with uh, first of all the Greek influence into Christianity. So um, when Jesus comes back from the dead, um, he says to his disciples, you know, he says. I am not a ghost. Uh, mm-hmm. See, I have flesh and bone. He actually says that in the Gospel of Luke. And and he says, come and touch me. See that I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bone. And he says, do you have any food? And they had some fish and they give it to him and he eats it. So to really point to the fact that he has physically come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. So the most spiritual being in the biblical narrative, the resurrected Messiah, the son of God, he is physical even after mm-hmm. he comes back from the dead. There is a spiritual, a spirit version of God in the Bible. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
And, and there's no two spirit versions. There's only one. Because Jesus is also the son of King David. And okay. that's a very important part of his identity. And so um, when this message comes into the Greek world, um, the Greeks had a different concept of spirituality. Okay. For them, the highest form of spirituality was non-physical. Um, this, was co- this was common in what was called the schools of knowledge, Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. And this, this kind of this Greek idea pours into the church. And um, gradually people start to say, okay, well, actually, Jesus is no longer physical. You know, in the Bible, he's physical. But in the imagination of the church and in the way that Christianity is preached and practiced, more and more he becomes a creature of spirit. He's not a physical being. And therefore, the world that he is in right now, that he ascended to, is um, not a physical world. Okay. And um, this idea starts to really take over until we get to the Middle Ages. And the Middle Ages pushes this idea deeper by saying what is physical is profane and what is spiritual is um it, what is what is you know not what is uh, spiritual is non-physical so the physical mm-hmm. is bad and that which is good is not physical uh so so you know people like punish themselves they punish their bodies they whip themselves and things like that so the physical becomes even more poo-pooed <laughs> and then uh, there is kind of a division within uh, Christianity where one group of people says, you know, the physical, the universe, the earth, this is the creation of God. And in order to understand God, we should study it. We help, you know, this is here for us to study. And this leads to the creation of the university system in, in Bologna, in, in Italy. Um, but this other group of Christians say, no, no, we shouldn't, we should only focus on the soul. We, we shouldn't bother un, uh, trying to understand, you know, God's creation, which is focused on the soul. And so there is more of an emphasis on the non-physical. And then we get to the age of enlightenment. And in the age of enlightenment, we have this, you know, we have Renaissance and, and, and philosophers, mathematicians, scientists like Rene Descartes that start to study the universe, even though he was, you know, a, a devout Catholic and everything. Right. Um, but moving forward, we start to get into the ideas of atheism that start to take hold in the Age of Enlightenment. And then we get to philosophers like David Hume, who, who advocate materialism. And basically, they say we, should, we can only believe what we can see with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and then, in a way, the, the, the reaction of the church is to say, no, uh, through the eyes of faith, Mm-hmm. We see this other spiritual world that, you know, that we, we so, so the, the, the church continues to dig itself even more into the non-physical as the realm that it is comfortable in, that it's, mm-hmm. it's specialty. So, so gradually from the days of early, the early church, there's a drift from the physical into this non-physical reality that defines the spiritual experience. And so by the time we get to the 20th century, um, the, our, uh, you know, our concept of, of God is rooted in something that's ghostly alone, mm-hmm. and, it is, and he lives in a realm all very different from the universe. But in the Hebrew Bible, 
you know, the Son of God comes back physically. He's going to return um, at the helm of these chariots and angels, armies of heaven to the earth. Um, um, the angels have these capacities. Um, and, and so while all this is happening, uh, Galileo comes up with the idea of a telescope and looking into the universe. Mm-hmm. And that line of reasoning starts to uh, invite us into the understanding of the universe. So suddenly we're no longer in the heavens and on the earth. And, and God is the creator of the host of the heavens and the host of the earth. We're in the universe now. Oh, that's where we are. Yes. And what's the universe? Well, the universe is a place of gases and rocks and explosions and solar systems and big bangs and, 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 and Darwinism and, you know, all of that. And, oh, and look, look at these, these things that fly in the sky. What's this? Wow, they're aliens. Where they come from? Well, they came from someplace else where they evolved, like we evolved here. So the mind becomes kind of separate and confused. It sees the world through an alternative explanation gradually, where we are in the universe, we're not in the heavens, on the earth. We, we are born of evolution, so are these other beings. And, uh, oh, and religion is something altogether different. Religion is something that has to do with ghosts and, and the world of spirits and, and heaven. Mm-hmm. And the angels, well, they come from other dimensions or they have bird-like wings, they live in the clouds. More and more our minds in the culture begin to separate these two things from each other. And so by the time we get to the 20th century, aliens and UFOs are the child of the age of Galileo and Mm -hmm. telescope. And angels are are part of the stories of the Bible and this spiritual realm called heaven. So this is how, you know, the cookie crumbles over time. But in the actual reality... Uh, the the way that the Bible story comes through in the text is that this vast thing we call the universe is actually called by the same word as, as heaven, this Shemaim. And God and his angels operate in it and they use chariots. And we don't need an alternative explanation for where we are or who these beings are. We already have that explanation if we, mm-hmm. we accept the biblical text at face value. And then as far as why would angels use these things? Well, because angels were never magical beings. That was, again, another assumption. Mm-hmm. They were always beings that operated within the laws of the creation, like we do. Um, this, this was their true nature, always. They operate in things like engineering and science, and like we do, like where they build things and they, they understand things. And there's lots of stories of, of information that's been handed down to the civilizations. Uh, that knowledge that has been handed down that is this type of knowledge um, and God, why would God you know, need all of this? And be, Well, of course, God doesn't need any of it. Mm-hmm. God is separate from time and space and from the creation. For God, it's a choice. I mean, I mean Christians believe that God uh, you know, went on, on, a, on a fisherman's uh, boat uh, in the Sea of Galilee and preached right. sermon, uh, that he rode on the back of a donkey um, or, or he was stood at the, at the end of Roman whips. Well, if God is in the heavens, meaning in the universe, among other places, among these heavenly crafts, these chariots of the Bible, well, these things are far more sophisticated than the donkey that he rode on. 
Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a choice for God to 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 participate in His creation. He is not bound by the laws of it, um, but but He chooses to operate in it. So yes, for God it's not a need, um, but for the angels it is. It's like it is for us. They need these right. things to go between the realms. Well, here's my question here is that, you know, um, like you were saying, God doesn't need this stuff. Yet I think a, th- a lot of it, too, is that, like I said earlier about the times, you know, about like how he's going to appear to people for that for that particular era. So for people to wrap their arms around him and embrace him, the best way to do it would be to, to be like one of them, like you say, r- r- riding the donkey and, and, and being on the fisherman's um, boat. Right. And then to our era, he would come with his chariots because we are in the technological era. Right, right, right. right. Okay, that's a good question. So let's talk about that. Sure. So um, the, the, there is like um, a climactic narrative, like the, the story of the Bible climaxes. Uh-huh. A- age has, uh, history has ages. And God is going to move history forward from the age that we're in into the next age. And like the people who lived in in the Dead Sea, you know, the Qumran caves in Israel, mm-hmm. where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they in their writings imagined that that the Messiah and his angels would look like Roman soldiers, and they would have swords, mm-hmm. and they would then you know challenge you know the, the armies of Rome. So even the angels would look like Roman soldiers, because how else could they imagine it, right? I mean, that's what right. they knew. But theirs was not the time of such things. Um, in our era, suddenly we see this massive appearance since 1947 mm-hmm. of the UFO phenomenon. And, and 1947 is the, is the year that Israel was uh, proclaimed a nation by the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because that was a prophetic event. Um, Israel is the only nation that is a prophetic nation. It was created through an act of, of prophecy of God, and its destiny is prophesied. And so there was this prophecy that such a thing would occur, that there would be a great massive return to the land, and that uh, a nation would be born suddenly overnight. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because uh, like in the scroll, scroll of Ezekiel, um, which was the only scroll that was whole found in, in the Dead Sea Caves, it says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. So this, this prophecy of a nation that's born overnight, when you read this passage, as the passage goes forward, a few verses down, it says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots, like hmm. the whirlwind, like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury and his rebuke of slaves of fire. So the return, of, the birth of this nation, the passage that talks about that, ends with the... Um, a proclamation of the coming of God in his chariots. And so the reason that, that we suddenly see that in the same year that this prophecy comes true, uh, these uh, um, uh, you know, UFOs appear right. is because 
um, suddenly the veil is being removed and the, and the war of angels is coming to our attention because this is going to culminate in the great war of angels, which is, happens when God comes back at the helm of the, of the armies of heaven. Um, the, one of the titles of God is the, the God of heaven's army, Adonai Tzavot. It's translated uh-huh. into English as uh, the Lord of hosts. But that's what the word means. Sva means army. Tzavot means armies. It's translated as host in Old English, but that's what literally means the God of heaven's armies. Mm-hmm. And so, so this, this, the shape that it's taking before our eyes, I believe because this is the time of the fulfillment of the prophecies and the transition of this age into the Messianic kingdom and the return of the Lord and his angels, we are the first generation who is seeing it for the way it has always been. Mm-hmm. And we are, are now at a place in our story where we have the capacity to understand it because we are the generation who was always meant to live it. And so the, the UFOs that appear over our heads here after the Holocaust and after uh, the establishing of Israel, these would be in the Bible, the bad guys, the fallen angels. Sure. And so right away, there's a propaganda that is uh, even as early as 1951 in the movie called uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, that mm-hmm. right away we are told that, you know, um, the, the, um, the saviors of the earth have arrived. They're going to help us with environmental issues. They're going to help us get over our tendency for war now that we have the nuclear age uh, and, and we can blow up stuff that really big. We can, we can take this into the, into the cosmic uh, galactic order. And this is the, the, the story that comes off very quickly from the very beginning of this phenomenon uh, we get ideas that are pumped into the culture as early as 1951. And by the way, um, even you look at the movie of um, uh, the, um, uh, Spielberg, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. Uh, there's a boy and, and he sees this cloud coming with an amber inside of it. And I think that, that Steven Spielberg took that right out of the book of Ezekiel, to be honest. Uh just to, just to come back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show. Right. Um, so, so, but just to continue, the, how could we know about the UFO phenomenon so early on? How could we understand the motives of these guys when they had just arrived? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so it's a propaganda that starts to get pumped into culture um, because there is an agenda. And these guys are going to present themselves as the savior of the human race, the ones that are, in fact, the fallen angels, the ones that are here. And they're going to anoint or choose their their leader that they're going to empower. You know, there's going to be a nemesis uh, right. that's going to bring the world together. Uh, and, and the Bible gives lots of details about him and his final empire. And and kind of the, uh, the coming together of, of the world under a global crisis, uh, a series of crises that, that creates kind of unity among policies and rulership and houses of rulership. And how all this is handed eventually, prophetically, because in the Bible, into the hands of one man for three and a half years. Uh, mm-hmm. his, his, and, and then uh, these guys are going to be behind him. Because it says in the Bible that he's going to do miracles. It says that he's going to make fire come from the sky. And he's going to do lying signs and wonders, uh, like Moses did signs and wonders. Right. Uh, so so he's, he's a deliverer. He has a connection with these guys. And so... So the, the propaganda has started. Now, uh, 
when you look at Ivy League professors like David Jacobs, right, um, or Johnny Mack from Harvard, um, and they look into the UFO phenomenon to document it, what they discovered is that the heart of the modern day UFO phenomenon is um, the abduction, the alien mm-hmm. abduction. That's the heart of the UFO phenomenon. There's a reason they're not landing on the on the lawn of the White House and saying, hello, we've arrived to help you, is because they have an agenda of their own, uh, which is clandestine. And uh, it's very well documented. So Johnny Mack, he's the head of psychiatry mm-hmm. at Harvard University. And he decides that he's going to put this whole alien business to rest. Um, he's going to research it, and he's going to prove that it is a psychological, psychiatric disorder akin to demon possessions from the Middle Ages. And then he shocks the academic world in 1994 when he publishes a book called Abduction, mm-hmm. and where he says it's all true. And, and he gives all kinds of very uh, valid reasons for why it is. And he says these people are, are very normal people. They have no reason to create this very strange story about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, they, they, they speak about it in, in the terms that people speak when they tell the truth. Uh, you know, he's a specialist of analyzing these things. From then on, he becomes a world-famous abduction researcher. Another guy that, uh, that I find is very credible is Dr. David Jacobs from Temple University in Philadelphia. And he begins to document accounts of abductees. They come in his office and they just, you know, he relaxes their mind. It seems that these memories are sealed by the aliens, you know, and so he, he, he uses hypnosis to relax their mind and then they begin to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And the story that they tell, he, you know, he, he records it on, uh, and he's got three different tape recorders just in case one of them dies in the middle of the session. The other one is working. If the second one dies, the third one's working. And then he does transcripts of them. And he know, and um, last time I spoke with him, he had re- he had uh, 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 one thousand two hundred accounts. Wow! And, and and so he starts to see a pattern. They all say the same thing. And these people are just like anything from housewives uh, to professors um, to you know um, school teachers, ministers, engineers, uh, police officers, judges. I mean, all kinds of people we trust with very important roles in our culture, actually, mm-hmm. and whose judgment we, we rely on. And they also tell the same story. And, and the story is that they are being um, abducted. Most of the abductions happen during the day. Mm-hmm. And it happens from childhood to old age. And from the men, semen is removed. And the women are impregnated. And... Uh, close to the end of the first trimester they are abducted and the, and the fetus is removed oh they go to their do- yeah and then these things go the, the fetus goes in a room uh, and and there's lots of drawings that people can see on my website thinkingandproductions.com that uh-huh. he gave me that abductees have given him and the fetuses grow in these rooms and so when i read the story that that the creation of hybrids was was, was at the heart of this phenomenon and these very heavy hitters these very serious researchers who had looked into it, you know, to the detriment of their career, this is what they were saying, um, I, I realized, wow, so the stories in the Bible that the sons of God uh, came and, and had relations with daughters of men and created the giants. 
this uh-huh. that led to the flood, this great civilization. And that this happened also after the flood, the Bible says, and that Goliath was one of the sons, and, and that all the other cultures, the, the titans of the Greeks and the demigods, and all the cultures record these hybrids. Oh, wow. So this is actually true because we're also documenting that today. Not only are mm-hmm. we seeing the chariots, but we're also seeing these offsprings, which are demonic in the Bible story. Wow. So, so, so here we, we see, you know, when Jesus was asked about his second coming, he said it would be like the days of Noah. And mm-hmm. the, day, the days of these giants, of the Nephilim, that's the Hebrew term for it, which this is why God had the flood, you know, to destroy it. So I realized, look, um, this is the days of Noah. This is happening. And, and the Bible talks about, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, I think verse 15 or 16, somewhere around there, um, it, God says he'll put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman is the Messiah, but who is the seed of the serpent? Well, now I realize that there has been this seed from the fallen angels and, and from the chief of the fallen angels. It put into the human world, and there's lots of um, documentation for that. Um, and so, the the story of hybrid was not a new story either. It, it again brought to get life other aspects of the Bible and other stories from other cultures that mm-hmm. seemed mythological until now. I, I know maybe so because they seemed unreal. We tend to use an alternative explanation, uh, like it's, uh, we, we try to understand it through psychology or through metaphor or symbolism, or we spiritualize it. But once you understand that these beings are real and, and that the angels of God are actually, they're like in the universe with us, uh-huh. and that genetics and the creation of hybrids, this is not something they're supposed to do, but the fallen angels are doing it, then you realize that you can take the stories in the Bible literally. It, it, this is literal. And then you kind of ask yourself, well, if this is literal, how does it fit in the larger narrative? Like, what is the tale? Why are they doing this? Uh-huh. And that that was fascinating because this, this, this research made the Bible come to life and for me made it real. Now the Bible story contextualized all of this information. It was like turning the volume on in the movie. You were seeing all the actors walk around, but you didn't know what they were saying or doing. But you right. turn the volume on, and now the story comes to life. And now I understood that all of this, it's a long story, that, you know, uh, but, but to kind of stay uh, concise in this conversation, the point of it in our, in our age, in our century, is, is to orchestrate a massive deception where the good guys, God and his angels returning, are presented as the bad attacking aliens the ones that gave us religion, the ones that gave us all the things we don't want. Mm-hmm. But the ones that are here, they are the good guys. That's how they're going to present themselves. They're going to reverse it. Good cop, bad cop. Okay. And, and this is a deception. They're going to rally the kings of the earth against the second coming of the Lord. And now the prophecies of the world going to war against God can become true. Because until you think that's insane. I mean, not believing in God, fine rejecting God, rebelling against God, all of these things, fine. But going to war, organized war against God and his angels, that's insane. And also, how would you ever do it? But now once you understand that they've been equipping us with technology, that's why we've had such a huge leap forward. Mm-hmm. And these guys, they're preparing us for such a battle. And that the angels of God are coming with these, you know, uh, heavenly craft. And that um, 
knowledge has tremendously increased. And if if the deception is that we see God and his angels in a different light, we don't see them for who they really are. We see them in the context of this, you know, alien uh, clothing, mm-hmm. because we are the children of the age of Galileo. We no longer see ourselves in the heavens and on the earth and the host of the heavens and the host of the earth. We don't see the universe in the way the Bible describes it. And we see God and his angels as being something very different. The culture has been prepped for centuries for this deception. And now we've reached a point where it's been, it started the propaganda has been implemented since 1947. And we are headed uh, to, 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 to this massive, massive deception, even, you know, the Bible does talk about a final uh, uh, deception, a, a very important one. And so we hypothesized in, in the documentary that we released in 2006 that this was the deception to, to, to reverse reality and make the good guys look like the bad guys and make the bad guys who are here with us look like the good guys. And so the world let rallies behind their chosen leader against the second coming of Christ. And this huh. is how the Battle of Armageddon, which is a heavenly battle, it's not just a physical battle. And, and as I said, heavenly doesn't just mean magical. It, in fact, it doesn't mean magical at all. It just means it, it involves this other realm of, of, of the universe, of the sky, of these things. You know, we don't want to, to your point, we don't want to minimize it and make it super technological right? and, and reflect our uh, century in it. Uh, but we don't want to, on, on the other hand, dismiss it as, as, as ghostly and spiritual to the point where there's nothing to it. Mm-hmm. We have to now understand that the Bible talks about these things and the UFO phenomenon is the empirical evidence of it. And now we know who these guys are and what's going on, thanks to the light of God's word, the prophetic light. Um, but as far as the details of how these crafts operate and how the world of angels exactly operates, we have to live with the mystery until we are fully in contact with it. And then we can walk inside one and now really know how the whole thing works. Until then, we have to, you know, have the patience of not jumping the gun. Right. I find this interesting because when you talk about and I can see how the deception thing goes, because fallen angels, of course, are always thought of being, you know, Satan and, you know, everything below as, as they say so if they're if, if they're, that's what they're doing in these hybrids or the fallen angels then you're right they're, they're they're deceiving people here on earth right now exactly the hybrids are the offspring of fallen angels and humans okay yeah see it makes the, a lot of sense yeah the term fallen angel is a term of christian culture the concept obviously is in the bible but the term doesn't in the bible they're called the sons of god the fallen mm-hmm. angels they're called the sons of god and they're also called the stars of heaven. They're also called the gods of the nation. That was a huge discovery. And I can't open it up because it takes too long, but I can just state right. it. One of the great mysteries that God revealed to us that is in, you know, close to a thousand verses in the Bible is that, you see, the Bible talks about the gods of the nations, like the gods of mm-hmm. Egypt, of Greece, of Rome, as real beings. It, it is, again, in the church in the modern age has adopted mm-hmm. the secular perspective that these were mythological beings. And it's not just a secular perspective. It's, it's, it's Even in ancient Greece, they were divided between those who believed that they were real and those who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an, old, it's an old concept. But the Bible talks about these. That's why God is called, like in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, and, and in other places, God is called the God of God. 
It's one of the titles of God. Mm-hmm. He is the God of gods. El HaElohim. And the Lord of Lords. Adon HaAdoni. And so he can't be the leader of mythological beings. Mm-hmm. And like, for instance, in the, in the story of the Passover, where God comes to Egypt to judge the Pharaoh, God, it says in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, God says he's going to come and he's going to judge the gods of Egypt. How, how do you put mythological beings under judgment, right? How do you put the figment of the imagination of the Egyptians under judgment? And, and, and the gods are admonished. They're told to worship God. In the book of Psalms, worship him, all ye gods, uh, David writes. And so what we see is that God is presented as the Lord of these spiritual beings because the Bible says that the world, of the nations were given into the hands of these beings and God chose Jacob for himself. Mm-hmm. And so what we see is that these nations received templates from, from these beings of how to build temples and ziggurats and of how to... Uh, they received the laws, like the Code of Hammurabi, uh, which is given by the sun god Shams, who is called mm-hmm. Apollo by the Greeks, and many other things are given. And God gives the same. At, at Sinai, he gives his laws, and then he chooses the house of David as, as a house of kings. Uh, he creates a priesthood. He creates the architecture of a temple is given to Moses, to David, to Solomon. And so what we're seeing is that the stories of, of Israel were true, and that God and his angels were communicating. And so the Bible reveals to us that the stories of these other beings were also true, uh, the, of the nations. These, the beings, the gods, uh, were, were in fact um, the fallen angels. That would be the Christian term for uh, who these uh, characters were, the, the, the policy. And that's why when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit is given to the nations, it pushes aside the worship of the gods. And, and the nations return to the worship of the one God of Israel. This, this spiritual transformation that pushes us into the age of monotheism, that's very young because most of human history is polytheistic, thousands of years of polytheism. This is because of the victory of the Lord in this spiritual battle and the redemption of people from the bondage to Satan and his angels. That's why Satan says to Jesus, uh, dominion has been given to me over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I'll give them to you if you worship me. And so these pantheons of the gods were how they asserted themselves over the nation. And so, so these guys have been here with us always from the beginning, and now they're not presenting themselves as the gods to us, but as modern-day mm-hmm. gods in a way, as aliens, reinvented themselves for us. Sure. But the Bible removes the veil and says, oh, all along, whether it's the gods of the nations or, or the UFOs of today, this is the fallen angels. And, and the, the, these are the masks they put on. And God and his angels are on their way. And some of them are here with us. I mean, they're, they're, we're not alone. Right. Uh, uh, you know, so the book of Revelation says that the dragon, which is a symbol for Satan, has cast down one third of the stars of heaven with his tail which is an idiom for angels. Mm-hmm. So one third have gone with him. And then there's a, they became the gods of the nations. And then the Lord came and he you know, defeated them on the cross and he redeemed the human race. And, and the Holy Spirit was given to the nations and the, and the rule of these beings collapsed. And the, the knowledge of the one God and the scriptures that went with it were distributed to all the world. Mm-hmm. 
And so we are now reaching the climactic point of the story where God's going to come and finish it off. It's like the story of David and Goliath. David has been hit with a rock on his head, and mm-hmm. now Goliath is running to grab the sword and chop his head off. So that's the second coming. It's the physical redemption of the earth. Like God is going to remove the imperial structure uh, of the worldly system. He's going to remove the spiritual forces that are behind it. And mm-hmm. he's going to usher in a new age. And his followers will be given a new body, like the one that he had when he came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a climax. We're, we're entering a climax. And the birth pang that transition us from this age of history to the next one started in 1947 when the prophecy of the nation was given. And that is when the sign of the chariot, these, these guys, these things appeared over our heads. Because this UFO phenomenon, when it's nice and ready, it will culminate in, in the battle of Armageddon. This is leading us into the war of angels prophesied of old. This is where the UFO phenomenon is going. And meanwhile, they're filling the earth with their propaganda with their deception, where they're mm-hmm. seducing people. So many people believe that the saviors of the earth have arrived, and they're filling the earth with their hybrids, like mm-hmm. in the days of Noah, like the Lord had said, it said it would be like the days of Noah. So, so this is kind of, you know, uh, the gist of it, I guess. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. I know my audience did, too. I saw a lot of people in the chat room tonight. So, yeah. You got them all thinking. Very good, very good. Well, watch the documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods. You can watch it on my website, thinkinginproductions.com. Mm-hmm. and 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 you know, put, you can put comments and then on the YouTube channel. Um, and there's also other videos if you get interested. But it's worth a watch. I try to keep it very like evidence based. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge interview with Dr. David Jacobs where he shows all the abductions and. And all of that in the second half is fascinating. So I think people may enjoy it. So give it a watch. And my goal is, is to get people thinking, really, you know, uh, about these things. Fantastic. You've done that with me, certainly. And I know you did my uh, the people that were watching tonight. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great holiday, sir. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. All and right. I would, I would, yeah, see you later. Yes, go ahead. Bye. Oh, I was okay, going to well, say, I would yes. put on my image, but I'm in my basement and it's not quite finished and it's not very good to look at so i didn't have my video on that's okay yeah i'd like to get you on on a later date too and talk more about this anytime send me an email have a nice evening all right sure you have a good evening bye-bye bye-bye yep bye-bye well guys if you like this show don't forget if you're over there on youtube watching the show live don't forget to press the uh subscribe button because we want to keep bringing these shows to you guys that was a fascinating show as you can hear, the dog was active. She was probably trying to walk around the room or move around the room in there. So I got to go check on her. But if you like the show, um, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we are trying to build up, build up our subscribers. So uh, head on over to YouTube and uh, help us out with that. Or you can actually go to the website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. And get to YouTube from there. I Actually, all our archives are there for the last year and a half, too. Um, again, if you guys are interested in that event on Sunday, do go to the website at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and sign up there to uh, participate at 7 p.m. on Sunday, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific. Okay, as you can see, I've got a ticker running along the bottom of the page down here, and that's because California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team is a nonprofit. 
So everything we do here comes out of my pocket, and that's including investigation equipment, gas, everything, you name it, and just like the equipment to run this radio show. So if you could find it in your heart to donate to help me pay the bills and keep this show on the air, that would be great. You have two ways to do that. That's paypal.me at California Haunts. Or the easiest way, too, is if you uh, have a Venmo account or want to get a Venmo account, do that, and you can go directly into Venmo and just type in California Haunts, and boom, you can do it right there. Anyway, I appreciate you guys for coming tonight. Tomorrow night, we're shifting gears a little bit. We're going to be talking about ghosts from around the world. At Anna Maria Manalo is going to be with us. See, there I go with names again. And she has traveled around the world gathering ghost stories from, from people, and she's got some interesting tales to tell. In addition, she's written a book that's based on a true story about a, a, young, a, a younger girl that escaped, when, uh, that, that escaped during World War II over in Bavaria, and uh, she was in some haunted woods. So that should be an interesting story. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I will see you here tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, usual time. And again, I appreciate you guys coming. And I learned a lot tonight. In fact, I'm going to go watch go watch those two videos tonight and uh, learn a little more about that because, it, it, you know, what, what he said makes a lot of sense. And uh, I hope you got something out of it, too. Anyway, I want to thank you again. And I see you guys are in here. Yes, I see you all. And uh, just to let you know, Jerry, Marisa, and everybody else that was here and the people from, from next door and YouTube and whoever listens to the uh, the RSS feed from our podcast, um, I'm, I'm glad to have you all. I'm really glad to have you all. So thank you again for coming, and I will see you tomorrow evening. Bye.